listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody. My name is Joe Bevelacqua. I'm the lead pastor here. Take something out to take notes with today. Welcome to the second part of our series on a field guide to spiritual warfare. It's really part of a broader season that we've been in as a church, really starting the first week in January. We've been talking about brazen Jesus and how Jesus was a man's man. He wasn't a wuss. I love that. And if you missed that whole series, it was oxygen, especially some of the men in our church. We moved on into February, where we really got into the weeds on spiritual warfare, talking about the armor of God. We went through a series called Armor Up. Now listen, all of these messages stand on their own. You're going to get something out of today. But if you want to go do some archaeology and trek with some of those, maybe you missed it, you were here for whatever reason, you can go to newchapel.com watch, or you can sign up for our podcast Either way, it's all built on itself, and it can be a standalone. Today is going to be no exception. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 13. We talked about the armor of God in February, but we did move into a new series, Field Guide, because it's really getting into the practicality of spiritual warfare and how we engage in spiritual battles in this life. Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the books in your New Testament, is in prison, chained to a Praetorian guard, and he's using that armor as as a symbolic, as as an allegory for the spiritual attire that God has for all of us. I'm going to start reading in verse 13, Ephesians 6, if you would. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which which you were able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. Now, there are seven pieces to the armor of God. If you've been around Christianity for, for much time at all, uh, maybe, maybe you heard preachers preach or, or read a little bit of the Bible, you'll start to like have things stand out to you. One of the things early on for me, I was like, God really likes the number three and seven. I don't know why, but it seems like that's his thing. You know, We have the Trinity is a three. You'll see seven all over the Bible. And seven is a very actually hot button number all through scripture. And in fact, the first six things in any one of the, the lists that you'll find in the Bible, they're typically very, very similar. And the, and the seventh one is similar, but it'll have some different take on it. And if you read through, there were seven days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. There's seven uh, uh, primary colors in the rainbow. There's uh, seven notes inside a scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, and it, and it continues on. Uh, Just in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches, seven letters, seven candlesticks, seven kings, seven eyes, seven thunders, seven spirits of God, seven seals, seven horns, and so on. I won't bore you, but the idea being is that this theme comes up in Scripture. It's something that's shown. And to the people that would have been reading this list of the armor of God, they would have seen clearly that the seventh was there even though it was shown in a slightly different way. Let me read it one more time. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication. A first century Christian Roman citizen, Ephesian, that's the book of, uh, book of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus, they would have immediately known what part of the armor of God is not directly being shown, but is directly being cited. And here's what it is. It's the one that you would fly through the air to an enemy that has some proximity away from you. That's what it is. Well, what is that? It's prayer, for sure. It says that plainly, but it's talking about, in the Roman soldier's garb, the spear and the arrow. Go and throw up that slide, guys. I love showing you some context with that. That's actually art of me in war a long time ago. Just kidding. 
it's ridiculous, but uh, this is a Roman Praetorian soldier, and you can see he has a big old shield there. By the way, next week, we'll be concluding this whole series and season that we've been on, talking about, above all, the shield of faith. But you can see a spear in his right hand. Uh, and then over in the far uh, left, you can see you have an archer there. He has arrows. You also have different spears going on. Now, there were different spears for different reasons, and there were different arrows for different reasons. I mean, they had a 16-foot-long uh, spear that they would actually put on a harness on a horse, and they would just go charging into battle with this massive, massive spear. I don't know, but that'd be the horse I'd be on, everybody. I'm just telling you. Like, that sounds fun. They also had ones that they could carry, like in that picture. They had some that were small enough that you could throw. They weren't an arrow. They were a spear. Uh, they had some that had a bow at the end of the spear so that if you saw an enemy that had a certain kind of shield that had a lot of leather in it, you could throw the spear, and when it would hit that leather, it would actually go in and kind of like break so you couldn't get it off. Well, that's a huge advantage in war because you've got to get moving quick. And if this thing is now like, uh, not, not able to go any further, you've got to let it go. And now you, you lost your cover. It was incredible. So spears. They also had archers. And these archers would have arrows and they would fire them off, of course, long range, mid range targets. But they would also have different arrows that you could light on fire. Uh, the first scene in Gladiator is my love language. And uh, you can see a lot of that there. And so idea being, guys... The, the first century Christian, they would know God doesn't do anything in sixes. Six is the number of man. God's doing it in seventh, but the seventh is slightly different. And this is the prayer arrows, the, the prayer spears that Paul is trying to cite. Rabbis love to do that. It was in a very elegant way of teaching things. Now, I want to talk to you today about prayer in spiritual warfare. I think that it's pretty interesting then at that whole list of the armor of God, the last thing that's listed, is this prayer component. But yet it also says at the same time, praying always. So it both like lets it go to the end and lets it be outstanding in the list. But when you get to it, it's, it's kind of under the presupposition, it's also first. It says praying always. So, so while you're putting on your belt, while you're putting on your breastplate of righteousness, helmet and stuff, while you're doing all that stuff, that's great. You always have to have guard for the enemy. Like while they're living their lives in camp, you always are looking out and you're ready to fire one. If you, get, if you get an attack on you, you're ready to absorb it. We'll talk about that next week. But you're always ready to pop one off on an enemy. And so it is so indicative of the importance that God puts on it. It is the first and last thing that we're called to do. And I don't think that there's a person in the room that would disagree with any of that. But I don't want to take a show of hands on how many of us put it as the last thing. It is the, like, oh, crap button of our lives sometimes. It's when the proverbial feces hits the oscillator. Help a preacher out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or y'all just pray all the time. It's, it's when everything's gone bad. It's when you've lost big, the big book. You're like, oh, God, please. And, and it becomes this last thing. And listen, God's not shouting you down when you pray. He'll take what he can get. But I got to tell you, if we could approach him and, and make it something of a priority, it would be a huge deal. But I do understand it can be intimidating, even the thought of it. So uh, I went to a church growing up, uh, and, and it was very formal in many ways. The pastor, we get up there, and he was a smart cookie. Uh, I believed everything he said. Couldn't understand a word. But I, I, whatever he says, that's true, you know? And we tell him that every once in a while, but it was, like, it was like another language. And he'd go up and pray, and it was beautiful, but it was old English. Oh, God, we beseech thee from the throne on high. And I'm thinking like, is this a poetry slam? What's going on? I, I, I couldn't relate to it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? With just, I just, it's beautiful, but I, I have no idea. And then, like, they said, well, you ought to go down to children's church. Okay. So I went down to children's church, down Sunday school. Anybody old enough to even know what that is? And went down to the Sunday school, and I had the best Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mary Mumaw, the only other Italian in Western Michigan, by the way. And <laughs> She had that felt board, the flannel gram, and she put all the things up, and, and, and she would pray. And I, I remember when she'd pray, I feel so comfortable, because it wasn't old English with the these and thous. She really knew God. But then she'd be like, all right, we're going to get in a prayer circle. And I'm telling you, my heart started thumping out of my chest, because they, prayer circle is this, if you didn't grow up in church. We're all holding hands, and A, that's a lot, okay? We're all holding hands before the pandemic. I don't like this. Let's pound it prayer, everybody. Like, so we're all holding hands. And then when, it's the, and when you're done praying, you squeeze the hand of the person next to you to send the prayer down. And then it's your turn. 
That's horrifying. And so I remember being in this circle, and we're sending the prayer down. And about halfway through, I've got a, like a person after me before it would be done, and we're halfway through the whole circle. This guy's taking all my material. What a jerk. I mean, like, I was going to go for the missionaries. Why are you talking about missionaries? You don't know any missionaries. You know, we had that church that had all the missionaries on, the, on that cork board in the back. I took one of the cards. I was going to say my name and impress everybody. This joker knows them, and I'm, I'm intimidated. So when it hits me, here's what I would always do. Here's my trick. You squeeze and I'd go like this. I'd, I'd, go, I'd pass it right on and not even pray. And finally, after weeks of that, my Sunday school teacher said, well, well why aren't you praying? I, I said the cl- classic religious thing. You ready? Well, it's unspoken. Anybody else got one of those unspoken? <laughs> I had bags of unspoken prayer. I don't want to talk to everybody. I don't want to put a performance on. I don't have to do that. Now, today it's different. I, I, I get in front of people and I pray, but I got to be honest. It didn't start out that way. It was, it was fairly clumsy. And, and I had to make peace with this. And, and the, the strategy that helped me to make peace, I want to give that to you today. I, I think it will really help you. Uh, how many of y'all grew up in a family, maybe, that made you recite prayers? Uh, how about this? Let's be real honest. Anybody have to grow up and recite really spooky prayers? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep me. Oh, guard me, Jesus, through the night. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord, my soul. Well, that's a very comforting thing to tell a toddler, isn't it? All right, Frank, it's a lotto, but if you don't make it, we're going to pray that your soul takes. <laughs> I mean, we, we had to learn those prayers. And I knew like your buzz prayers. We'd sit down at a meal and say, Father, bless the food we take. Bless us all for Jesus' sake. Amen. I knew those times but I didn't really know how to pray. And I would come up with a thousand excuses anytime anybody asked me to pray for anything. I believed in the power of prayer, didn't have a problem with it, like many of you. But I did not know how to engage. So many excuses. In fact, I have a funny joke about that, a funny dad joke. It's a Croton joke. I haven't told a Croton joke in a long time. Do you guys want to hear my Croton joke? Okay. Do you want to hear my Croton joke? Okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you if you're going to pull my arm. Okay, so, so here's the idea. Croton Cliff. He was driving up in Croton around all that beautiful pond, but he, was, but he was driving crazy. And there was a local state police officer, and he saw him, and he said, oh, man, that's Cliff. He's driving nuts. And so he pulls him over, and Cliff goes off to the side of the road, and, and uh, the officer goes up and says, Cliff, you can't drive like that. And he starts talking to him a little bit, and he senses, this guy's drunk. And so, so he says, look, Cliff, you can't drive like that. You have to take a breathalyzer. And, and Croton Cliff looks at him and he says, I can't take a breathalyzer. I'm an asthmatic. You'll kill me. I'll die here on the road. And so the officer thinks for a second. He says, all right. Well, listen, then you're going to have to take a blood test. Well, he says, I'm a hemophiliac. You can't do that to me. I'll die. I'll die here on this road. You can't do it. He says, well, listen, you're going to have to go back to the station. You'll have to take a urine test. He says, you can't do that. I'm a diabetic. I'll die right there when I take the test. You can't do it. He says, well, then listen, you're going to have to get out of this car and walk in a straight line. He says, I can't do that. And the officer says, well, why? He says, I'm drunk. <laughs> that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> that's a dead joke if I ever heard one. Go ahead and put that in your pocket. God bless y'all. But listen, do we do that with our spiritual life? Make excuses? Make excuses like, I don't want to do that. You go do Why don't you have a word of prayer, you know, and, and you got out of it by like delegating it to your brother-in-law. And, and, and we got to have more than that in our life. We need prayer. I got a question for you today. What would life look like if you put him first in prayer? He is last for many of us. It is the, oh gosh, it's all falling apart. God, show up, please. Lottery, dice roll. But what if he was first? What if before your assistant brought the person in for the meeting, you're like, just hold up one second. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this meeting goes really well. Pray that we're able to figure out this, this new plan moving forward. Or before you hired the person, you're like, God, I pray for the right person. I don't need one of these jokers that are out there working at the Panda right now. Like, I need somebody real. God, I need the right person at the right time. And how about like you and your spouse? You know, like, you got to pray with your spouse a little bit more. What if you're getting ready to go to work and you just like, like grabbed your spouse's hand, number one, gave her a kiss because you got a license to do that, I'm just saying. <laughs> Start something you can't finish, but I'm just saying, like, give her a kiss. Love the wife of your youth, amen. Just quoting scripture. And then, and then say, hey, let's pray. 
Let's pray before you go into your week. Let's, I know you got that thing, that meeting, whatever. I forgot what it is, but it's important to you. Let me pray, you know, like whatever, you know, like pray. What if, what if you, before your kids like left and went on like uh, the buses, which a bus is basically like Babylon on wheels, you know, like before you sent them on that bus, you're like, hey, let's pray. Let's pray about it. Hey, have a great day. And you prayed for your kids and prayed for the next year. What if you prayed first instead of making it a thing where it's like, oh, it's all collapsing. Jesus. And, and, and we, we, again, he's fine with picking up the pieces, but I, I think he'd so much rather be a vibrant part of our lives. Write this down. Let's start living our lives saying this, I'm praying first. Write that down. I'm praying first. Let's make prayer our first response and not our last resort. For me, you know, I finally had to make comfort with it, like, like make peace with the whole process. And, and so when I wake up in the morning, I just say like, God, good morning. What are we doing today? And then, as I've said for the years, but it's true, I go down and make me a Keurig before I say something crazy to Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't get religious about it, but I put him first. I think about him. First thoughts I want to think about in the day. What if you put him first? First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, what's God's will for my life, Pastor Joe? That you'd be praying. Now, praying continually does not mean that you're just like always talking. It's always in your mouth and you're just spit. I mean, that's crazy. But it is you having this atmosphere of prayer about you, awareness of God's presence, that anything that you go through, you're like, God, what do you think about that? I don't know. And, and you don't have to be a know-it-all. You don't have to figure it all out. That's so hard for me because I'm so type A and a control head and I want to like strategize. But sometimes it's like, I don't know. How are you going to finish? Jesus, you know, like, God, I don't know. Here's the problem. And so, so listen, this, this disposition of prayer first is a massive deal. Kaya's good at it. She grew up with, she's a PK, right? And so she grew up, they'd leave the house and they'd pray. And so Kaya's good about it. Whenever we leave, she'll be praying. I forget to do that one all the time. I forget about the traveling angels and, and all of that. But Kaya's down with that. But she prays first. What if we did that before you bought the land, bought the car, took the step, sold the house? What if you're like, God, what is your will in all this? And so, though I will make this practical and I will make this fun and I will make this so simple, I got to tell you, uh, our world is in peril. And so we need to pray like we never have before. Yeah. Things used to just have this moral decline and now it's like nosedive. We're, and it's so quick, isn't it? Like it's happening so... And, and, and so we've, we've got to be people of prayer because things are changing and, and, and haven't just uh, are changing. They, it's changed, and, and it's an abandonment of God's way, and it's an intensity of spiritual warfare. And we see wars breaking out. Everybody's focusing right now on Europe, and listen, it's a tragedy. It's so awful. But last night, bombs were, were sent over, and they bombed our embassy over in uh, Syria, I believe it was, and they believe it was Iran. Everything that you see that's happening all over the globe, China, it's all going back to the Middle East. Europe, it's all going back to the Middle East. Everything will go back to that focal point, everybody. People have been asking me the last several weeks, are we living in the end times? It has to be. It has to be. When you have the Orthodox Church and the Evangelical Church agreeing that Jesus is coming back soon, Guys, I'm telling you, pack your bags. It's important. But don't just live for that rapture. You got to live in the today. And you got to say, you know what? This world might be going south, but I'm still here. I'm the salt of the earth, the Bible says. Jesus said, I'm the salt of the earth. I have a preserving factor. I'm going to pray. God's going to meet us here in the midst of all of it. Second Chronicles chapter 7 it's talking about a drought. There's no rain. And if you can think of it this way, there is somewhat of a moral drought. There's, there's this starvation. People are thirsty. What does Joe Rogan have in common with Joe Bevilacqua? We both could whoop you. I mean, <laughs> do you know what's in common? And he's not a moral man. He's in search for the truth. You see that? Why are we drawing all kinds of wild characters and they're in search for truth? Has he landed on it yet? No, I'm praying that somebody he respects lead him to Jesus. Yeah. But let me just tell you, guys, there is a thirst for truth in this world. And when somebody's bold enough to give it to people, people respond in a positive way. Here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people, if. I like, put that scripture up there, guys. It says, if. I like how he puts it, if. 
It's almost like, let me just throw this out there. You're going to do it or not? Things could be so much different if, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear them from heaven. I'll forgive the sin. I'll heal their We need that. And guys, it is the evil day, so to speak. We've been talking about that out of Ephesians where it's already happening and it's going to happen in your life. And so what do we need to do? We need to, we need to be able to send out some spears, some, some prayer arrows, and come on not just defense but offense and take some ground in this kingdom. We need to learn to pray. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, good news is this. Jesus wants to help us with this. Now, Jesus was with his 12 disciples and typically, when he was out on the road, he would find a certain place. I think he liked to pray in gardens, so there'd be local public spots. And we know also that he would do it pretty early in the morning. Uh, in this particular situation, I don't know specifically where they were at, but the proximity uh, was so much that the disciples could hear. I'll also say this. The disciples were not high-character people, and so they very well could have been eavesdropping. So... Uh, Luke's gospel, I'm going to read this in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I could preach a whole message on just that. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now let me just say, these are Jewish guys. They were growing up Jewish boys. They memorized prayers. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one, our God is one. They memorized these prayers. They would say it in the morning, in the evening, when they would eat. They had different prayers that they would pray at different festival times and feast celebrations. They weren't saying, we have no idea how to pray, pray teach us to pray. They were saying, I want that. Yeah. Whatever you are doing, teach us to do that, Jesus. We want to pray like that. And so it resonates with them because it's highly relational. What does Jesus do? He says, all right, let me give you the headings. And he goes through all the headings of what he was going over. And what happened? 2,000 years later, we now have a Lord's Prayer, and we recite it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And any time you messed up when you were a kid, you were given some beads and told to act right and go sing songs. you know. But listen, it was never meant to be that. Now, when I do a funeral or if I do a wedding, oftentimes we'll say the Lord's Prayer. It can be a beautiful thing. But listen to me. That's not what it was meant to be. Jesus was highly relational in the whole conversation with his God, and then we made it into poetry that we recite to one another. And I got to tell you, there's something more there. He gave them headings, kind of like, you like what that was? Let me just tell you. And so it's said clearly in Luke 11, but it also says it in Matthew 6. I'm going to read it out of Matthew. Jesus says this, pray in like manner, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. An outline, a powerful, powerful outline. And listen, if you're like I was, and if I said, hey, would you just close us out in prayer? And you'd be like, uh-uh, not me. <laughs> I think you should take notes on this. I think you should maybe pop out your phone a couple times when I get these slides up there and take a picture of it real quick. Because if you use these seven different points I'm going to make, I'm telling you guys, these seven arrows in your tool belt, it will serve you and it's going to bring clarity to all of this. You guys ready to jump in? I'm a little bit more excited for a preacher than that. Y'all excited to jump in? Okay, number one. He says, our Father in heaven. Number one, we need to connect with God relationally. Save your old English these and thous and beseeching. If you don't talk like that in your everyday ordinary life, stop praying that way. You're not impressing anyone, and God's not English. Okay, so like, like, be free in Jesus' name. You don't have to prove anything to us, to your spouse, to anyone else when you pray by trying to like doctor it up and make it sound like, I don't know, like James Earl Jones or, or, or I don't know, Shatner is trying to say a prayer. You don't need to do that. You need to connect with God relationally. Can I put it this way? Not formally. He's not looking for, for a rigid protocol in all this. He wants to connect with his kids. And I think about those King James prayers. They might be beautiful, but listen, he's your heavenly father. Jesus got crucified for many reasons, for sure. One of which was he called God father. They wouldn't even say anything close to that. They wouldn't even say the name of God. 
Actually, if they'd spell it out to this day, you look at an Orthodox Jew, it would be G-D. They wouldn't even spell his name, it's so holy. And Jesus says, oh, you want to pray like me? Here's how you start it. Father. What? It's relational connection, like he's not distant. And so that also means this. Stop approaching God with your immediate laundry list of things that you need. Oh, God, please, oh, God, please. And you're like, the bill and the car and the thing and, the, and my kids are crazy. God, they're crazy, you know. He knows your needs. He's not distant. He knows what's going on. Let's be in relationship. How weird and rigid would that be if you were like that with anyone else in your life? You just went up to him and started like, heaving and hoeing and breathing weird and talk like why do people do that when they start praying god i believe that you can do anything like what happened to your knees what are you doing we were just at five guys and you weren't doing that you know and so we, we make all of the like holy aerobics out of it and the truth is this talk to god and and so 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 here's the idea he wants relationship. I start out with that good morning, Father. What do you have? What do you have for me today? What adventure are we going on? And most often, I know the answer. Go to work. Act right. You know, like, it's not always profound. But I want to start out putting him first. And it is relational. I'll tell you this. I love it when my kids are relational with me. And the opposite is a real turnoff. So at dinner, uh, we're really dealing with this parental thing. And we, we still sit down at a table for dinner. And so, like, my son might finish his drink, and, and what the buzzword has been, can you give me another drink? And he's just, like, lift it in the air, the glass. And I look at that boy like he fell out of a tree. Like, what? <laughs> Don't bark at your mother, you know? Ask, please, would you be willing to get me something else to drink or something like that, right? And then I'll do it. And, and listen, if, if he ain't going to ask that, I ain't going to give me anything to drink. God bless you. You can drink tomorrow for all I care, but we're raising holy terrors in America, and we need to somehow bring back dinner and no. And so, anyway... They'll ask for different things. They'll be like, Dad, I need you to do this. Dad, I need you to do that. And like, I just don't go down that road. But right now, my son Frank is in a really cool season. He'll come up and he'll crawl in my lap. And he'll, he'll, he'll lift his sleeve. He'll be like, kind of like, would you tickle my arm, you know? And I'll be like, yeah, baby, come here. I love you. How you doing? He says, butterfly kiss. Okay, butterfly kiss. Here we go. I love you. Eskimo kiss. Okay. We, we go through. And if he asks me for anything, it's like, you can have whatever you want, Frank. You're my favorite. Don't tell the others. <laughs> I like you the best. <laughs> Versus your older brothers that walk past me with disdain asking me for things. No, Frank can have whatever he wants, right? Like, parents, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those kids get sweet. They just come in. Hey, just came out to the garage to see what you're doing. You don't need money, you know? Like, this is great. This is oxygen to your father, by the way. And so, so the relational element is a huge deal. They make the effort to connect relationally, and so therefore, it's so easy to bless somebody like that. Don't move on towards the other stuff before you do it. Romans 8, 15, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. We have a lot of denominational churches that just want to make you a fearful slave. Act like a good boy, die and go to heaven. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We now say, Abba, Father. In English, you'd be like, Dad, Daddy. Oh, man, I'm excited to pray. Number two, I got to move on. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is that? It means worship. It's worship, and specifically, it's worship his name. You know, when we start our church services here at New Chapel and we're worshiping, it's really an opportunity for all of us to get on the same page spiritually and worship God. But it's prayer. You're talking to God. You're getting in a, in a spiritual sync with him. It's a huge deal. And while you're praying, I would encourage you to be like, God, I worship you. I acknowledge you as Lord. I can't do it without you. You're wonderful. Thank you for what you've done in my life. So thank you, God. You worship him. And then what happens is worship his name. Let me get specific with this. And I don't want you to trip on it, uh, trip up on it, but I think it can be a real benefit for you. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18. God's name is a place of protection. The righteous can run there and be safe. When I send my oldest son Aurelio up and I say, listen, son, go tell them to go get their pajamas on. He goes up and says that to them and they blow him off. But if I say, Aurelia, go tell them dad said to go put their jammies on. My wife just confirmed the word. 
He'll go up there and be like, Dad said, I'm telling you, it looks like Manhattan upstairs. Everybody's getting ready. <laughs> Smiling while they're doing it. <laughs> Praise God, you know. <laughs> Have you heard the good news? You know, it's a, like they're on it. Because there's something in the name, right? Dad. There's something in the name of God. I want to show you just some of the names of God. There's many of them. Throw that slide up there, guys. Uh, God is our righteousness. Jehovah Tzedkenu is the, is the Bible word for it. He's our sanctifier. In other words, he's making you who you're called to be. He's taking you on that journey. He's your healer. Jehovah Rapha is the name. That's not just healer of, of the brokenhearted, though it includes that. Some people say, well, God heals your spirit. No such thing. You're either dead unto God or you're alive unto Christ. It's talking about physical healing there. God, our healer. He's our banner of victory. You ever see those teams and they, they run through the banner of the football teams when they go out there to the field? I mean, he's your banner of victory. We're going to whoop butt, take names. He's a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He is peace. He's, peace isn't a subject. Peace is a person. And it's God Almighty. He's provider, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He meets all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I like this one. He's there. One of the names of God is there. Maybe you're not like me, but I've gone through seasons where it's like, where's God? God, I need you to come through. You feel so far away. Where can I go from his presence? If I go to heaven, he is there. If I descend to the pit of Sheol, there he is. Where can I go from your spirit? He's the God that's always there. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. And during prayer, depending on what I'm going through, I will hallow his name. I, I will recite it, God, you are the healer. You're the healer. God, you're the healer. You are the healer. God, you are the healer. And I'll, I'll worship him along with the names that he presents himself as. I heard my dad say a joke, and it is a definite dad joke. He would say, maybe you know it, help me out. Wherever you go, some of you had good parents, and um, <laughs> that is a dad joke, but I thought about that. Wherever you go, there, there you are. There he is. He's right there. You can't run from him. Whatever you've ever gone through, your worst and lowest moment, he was there, present. Wow. Got to move on. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number three, write it down. We need to pray his agenda first. His agenda. Notice, your kingdom come. Your will be. It's, it's your before it's your. And you can be patient to do this because you're in relationship with him. We're going to get to your list. We're going to get to the things you're asking about. He's very interested in that list. But let me just tell you, get interested in the things that God is interested about. Well, what's he interested about, Pastor Joe? Listen, one word, others. You want to pray through God's prayer list? Just start with one little key word, others. So start praying for Jewish people and Ukrainian people and Chinese people. You start praying for, for people in Grand Rapids. You start praying for people in your family. You start praying for people at the church house. You start praying all in your life about other people. And I'm telling you, it just makes God happy. That it doesn't have to be all about this desperation of, oh, God. and you can run to God anytime you want. But listen, if you got time and you're living your everyday life, talk about what he likes talking about first. Listen to what God is all about. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom, and all the stuff will be given as well. It says it this way in Luke 12. He will always give you all that you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Really, you getting your needs met is part of a bigger picture, everybody, of the kingdom advancing. And so we need to realize that, God, you have an agenda and I'm going to pray it out. And so this has changed the way that I pray. Uh, I will tell you, it is very difficult uh, sometimes. Because God calls me to pray for those in leadership and to pray for the governing authorities. And so I'm like, God, I pray for President Ahab and Queen Jezebel. <laughs> oh, shame the devil and tell the truth. You haven't prayed the same prayer? God, I pray for the rest of the Ringling Brothers. And I pray they get back on the road. And it's hard. And then after I get all that out of my system... About two hours. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I say, God, get them saved. That changed everything in a minute. We have precedent for that, don't we? Nebuchadnezzar. It could happen. God, I pray for salvation, a revival in the White House, a revival in Congress, a revival of just weights and measures. 
God, I pray for, and I'll start praying for the Supreme Court. I'll start praying for all these people. And I got to tell you, it'll help you with your heart. If you've got heart issues like your pastor has right now, like it'll help you with your heart, everybody. Start praying through and be like, God, they don't even know what they're doing. And those that do, God, I pray that you confuse the plans of the enemy. You can pray for the governing authorities and pray that God would stop them from doing some of the crazy, eh, I got to move on this message. Okay. <laughs> don't just pray when you have a need. Pray about your needs before and after those needs are met. The Bible says this, give us this day our daily bread. Write it down. We need to depend on God for everything. Depend on God for everything. But here's what I mean by that. Let's say that you're believing God. God, I need you to meet my, my mortgage. I, I got this mortgage and I don't have the money. God, I need you to meet this need. And God will do it, I, I know. But years from there, when you're in prayer, every once in a while, you just need to say, God, I need you to pay for my mortgage. Even though you got the money in the bank, you got investments now, you're growing. God, I need you, I need you to meet my needs. Because you're telling God, yourself, and the enemy that everything good in your life comes from him. Everything, every blessing. Every once in a while, I'll remind myself of that. Joe Bevelock, well, you are nothing without God. Anything good you like about me and anything good you like about my family or this church is because of God and what he's done in our life. And I got to tell you, I was leaving work one day. I got home and I got out and I looked at my beautiful house. I could hear my kids running around the inside. I got a pretty wife at home. God spoke to my heart because I went through a lot of spiritual abuse, a lot of people that were wrong. And God spoke to my heart and said, you didn't need all those people for me to bless you, did you? No, sir, I didn't. God is faithful and he is loyal. And you start taking ground with the needs. Don't forget where you came from and how good God is. And But by the grace of God, you'd be back on your can again because he is so good. Hallelujah. And so listen, you need to pray through all of that and say, God, thank you for it. Psalm 121, the Bible says this. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. He is not just looking up at mountains and thinking this is where the money's going to come from. The mountain in Bible times was the seat of government. Can I put it this way? Very similar to Capitol Hill. He's saying, God, my help doesn't come from Capitol Hill. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord Almighty. Whatever people do to mess up the economy of this world, when you're a tither, you've withdrawn from the world's economy and drawn into God's economy, and he will, he will, he will meet the needs of his kids. And I'm telling you, he takes it personally. He will see you through. You trust God no matter what. I have no doubt in our lifetime, you will see prices for things that will make your jaw drop. And inflation is here to stay. It's, it's prophesied about. But listen to me, God will meet the need of his kids. He takes it personal. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed begging bread. Can I hear an amen, church? Hallelujah. Let's press forward. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You need to get your heart right, but in two different areas, okay? So it says, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Get your heart right with God and with people. You need to get your heart right, two areas, God and people. So this is when you get into prayer, if you've got anything that you've waited for whatever reason, like whenever I screw up, I try to repent in real time because I, I wasn't always saved. And I made a lot of mistakes. And it was a good habit to get into because I couldn't remember them all. And so, but like now, if I, I'm sensitive, that way, like let's deal with it now. Let's repent now. But if you get into prayer, maybe every once in a while I ask God, like, God, is there anything wrong? Is there any? David prayed, search me, O Lord. Is there any wicked way? And he'll tell you, be like, ow, 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 okay, God, okay, okay. He'll help you. And just repent, deal with it. He's not condemning you. He's convicting you. Different, different. He's a dad. He's trying to get things right, trying, trying to move. Let's move the ship down the street, right? And so then you got to get your heart right with others. There's been times in my life where I've been driving and I've been thinking about some of the people that have done me wrong and I'm in a 35 and all of a sudden I look down, I'm going 70 miles an hour you know, just upset. And, and I have to be like, God, I already forgave them, but I forgive them again. Yeah. I forgive them again. They could do it tomorrow, and I'd forgive them again after that. Like I, if you're holding something against somebody, knock it off. You can't afford that in your life. You just, you can't, you, you can't do it. You got to let them go 
well, I don't want to justify what they did. They went too far. They, did, they said too much, Pastor. You don't get it. Listen, I don't know what they did, but God does. And you will never have to forgive someone more than you've already been forgiven. And so you've got to let them off the hook, forgive them. Doesn't mean they even need to be part of your life ever again. Some of you need to forgive people that have been dead for decades. Forgive them. Let them go. Move on with your life. And use moments of prayer like that to be like, God, am I holding anything? Anything against anyone. Get rid of it, God. Start to pray and forgive people before they do stuff. If your commute involves 131 in any way, this will really help you. God, I pre-forgive. And people will take note if you start forgiving before they start messing up. Some people are like, man, you're in such a good mood lately. You're thinking like, yeah, I forgave you before you did that dumb thing you always do. You know, like, but you don't say that. You just smile. You know, or say, bless your heart. You know. Anyway, so, so 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Got to move on. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Number six, write it down. We need to engage in spiritual warfare. Engage in spiritual warfare. Some of you guys are like, ew, that's weird. That's different. I haven't really heard a lot about that. This is good for you to hear. Now, when it says lead us not into temptation, that's actually a really poor translation into English. Uh, we know from James chapter 1 and verse 13 that God tempts no man. He does not tempt us. He will not do it. What a better translation in English would, would render is, do not allow me, God, to be led into that temptation. Hold me back, God. And here's the heart. God, I know me. And I'm going into this world, and I'm going to be tempted. Help me, God. I know I'm going to be tempted. Help me not to do it. Help me not to do my pet sin, my secret sin that nobody knows about. Help me not do the sin that everybody knows about. Help me to keep my mouth shut. God, help me. Lead, like, don't let me fall into that junk. Help me, help me, help me. And God will help you. God will help you through that. And so you have an enemy. You have to realize it's not just deliver us uh, uh, or uh, uh, do not lead us into temptation. It's also deliver us from the evil one. You have an enemy. Question. Is the enemy working harder to destroy you than you are to fight against him? And if the answer is, well, I don't really fight against the enemy, then the answer really is, yes, the enemy is working harder against you. He's going to take ground in your life, friend. And I know it kind of grosses you out, and we don't like talking about that type of stuff, but we need to learn how to engage in this. Right. Ephesians chapter 6, what does the Bible say? For our struggle is not against flesh. It's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. But listen, it's a real thing. I know when you read that, you're like, what? But listen, it's for real. And the best evidence I can give to you of that is just the last two years in America. It's not people. Some of the people that we loved, like, they've gone nuts. The world's gone nuts. And we're like, this is the devil. Like, this is so spiritual. It's beyond just what a sociologist could tell you what's going on. It's spiritual, and we have to learn how to stand against this junk. If the Bible is true here, and I believe it is, we need to take a stand and pray the power of the devil off from our lives. Start praying for your spouse. God, I pray for them. I pray, I pray whatever they're going through privately, publicly. God, I pray for them. I'm praying for their confidence. I'm praying for them to have opportunities. God, I'm praying for their will to be shown in your life, that thing that they're good at. God, I have them thrive at it. God, I pray for my kids. I call out my kids' name, Aurelio, Salvatore, Filippo, and Vera. God, I pray for those kids. Let no weapon formed against them ever prosper. God, God, broaden the pathway beneath their feet that they might not slip and have an accident or do something crazy. God, I, I, I pray that they're going to have the right friends in their life. God, if they start getting the wrong friends, let me know because I'm going to step in and sever. You go along. Listen, we love everybody, but my kids don't need to be friends with all your kids. You don't raise your kids like my kids. They ain't going to be friends. Let me just help you with that. I, and listen, parents of teenagers, you can pick your teenager's friends. Your teenager's like, no, you can't. No, listen, you can. Step in, sever, because I'm here to tell you, it is so much cheaper to deal with a little bit of attitude around the house than to deal with bail to have to pay in their 20s. And I've seen it, guys. you got to pray. Nehemiah chapter 4 says, fight for your family. You need to pray God's will into their life. Say amen, somebody. Finally, he says, yours is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Jesus, what does he do? He ends in the same way he started. He expresses faith in God's ability. All of this has thankfulness in it. All of this has, has, has faith in what God can do, but specifically in the beginning and the end of your prayer, you just need to talk about how awesome God is. Men, you don't have to get all ooey-gooey and flowery to do this. I want to help you guys, because some of you guys are like, my wife prays, and sometimes it's a lot, you know, and so I understand. Who's that, who's that worship leader that you listen to that is the prophetic worship Kim Walker, the, 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 Misty Edwards, can't handle it. <laughs> Cannot. Very woo-wee-boo-wee-doo. I can't do it. Men, let me help you. God, you're awesome. You're greater than me. You're my God. Thank you. I appreciate everything that you. You don't have to get all Jesus is my boyfriend. Like you don't have to do that. <laughs> Girls, go to town. Whatever, right? <laughs> Guys, that help you? I acknowledge everything good about my life is from you. I couldn't do it without. You do it like a man's man. You express faith in God because the truth is nothing's too hard for him, is it? That's what Jeremiah 32 says. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then I love this one out of the book of Revelation. To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the church said, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I pray for a standard of prayer to be lifted in our church. We don't have to be weirdos. God, we will not be weirdos. But in the context of who we are, we're going to be real before the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to take steps that might feel very awkward at first. And God, we commit right now in our hearts to take them. God, I pray for the women that have had to carry the spiritual load in their homes. God, I pray that you, you give them relief. Because Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to your men in this house. God, I pray that the men in this house would step up and pray. And when they do it, God, I pray that it would be awkward. Let it be. Let them sink into it. Let it be really, really weird and life-giving at the same time. And God, I pray that as they take these fumbling steps and they're, they're praying the best that they know and they break out into the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever, that we are good-humored <laughs> and that we love them because, God, they're the spiritual leader of their home. Sir, don't put your wife in a position that she's not asking for. You lead. You're the leader. You do it. We're all about empowered women at this church, but let me tell you what an empowered woman wants. An empowered leader that can lead. A good shepherd in that home. I pray for men, God, to rise up and start to pray. God, I pray that, that they would be bold to do it. Just as bold as when they're hunting. Just as bold as they are in business. Just as bold as they are when they drive on that expressway, Lord Almighty. The rest of the family's praying when they drive. But God, I pray, I, pray, I pray for boldness that they would lead their home in prayer, lead their kids in prayer. And, and God, I pray for them, especially because a lot of them don't have a good example. They never really seen it happen. What does this even look like? But Lord, I pray that they would be bold enough to take those awkward steps so that their kids can look back and be like, I don't know what dad was praying, some voodoo prayers early on, but we landed. And now dad can pray down heaven. And I have that broken my life. God, I pray that they would do it for their kids. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for a weapon to send into war. And God, I pray for those people that are in the room, that they're listening to this, and, and, and something resonates in their heart. And God, it's you confirming the word. I sense in my heart that there's people that want a relationship with you. Help me to find them, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. One more minute. I just want to talk to you. Is your life right with God? whatever that means for you. If you're struggling, if you, if you feel distant from God, friend, you need to pray and get this thing right with God. It's as simple as calling Jesus Lord. That's what it is, especially to the men. It's not all the, it's you are Lord, you are God. And when you do that, you acknowledge that, I'm telling you God will rush into your life and change things. And I do sense in my heart that there's people that want to pray that prayer today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray it out loud. And church, I want to pray it with those people who are praying it for the first time. Let's pray it out loud. Pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father 
Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Come on, somebody. Proud of you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, the Bible says that you're saved. That's eternity in heaven, but that's eternal life today. And I want to send you information about next steps. God has huge things for you, the least of which is to take this next step. We talked about our connection cards at the beginning of service. Please do fill out one of those cards and check the box that says, I accepted Christ. I want to send you a note in the mail talking about these next steps. I don't want you waking up on Monday morning being like, okay, I got saved. Now what? What am I doing? I want to help you take those next steps. I'm not going to embarrass you right now, make you stand up or do anything like that. There's public things like baptism. This is between you and the Lord. But I got to shepherd you. I got to get you that info. Be bold enough to do it. If you're a dude in here and you prayed that prayer, go and show your wife. I'm filling it out. I'm excited about it. Don't be bashful. You just became a real man today. Amen, somebody. And we're proud of you. That's why we're behind you. Come on, church. Louder than that. Come on. Stand up on your feet, gang. Did y'all get anything out of this message? Boy, I hope that you did. Next week, everybody say next week is the final sermon in this whole season talking about the armor of God. Bring somebody with you. It is a plus one weekend for sure. I'm going to be wrapping this up talking about the shield of faith above all else. And I'm telling you, it's going to be memorable. Uh, Guys, it is going to be great. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, With all of the changes that we've had back there with kids, we offer New Chapel Connect during both services. I encourage you, make plans to attend during first or second service next week. It's going to be pretty amazing. Anything else, Pastor Brian, I should share? Talk about safety class. class. They're all going to be packing. Rally point. Oh, yes. The 27th. This is so good. The rally point is mandatory. So if you're on the go team and you're serving, we need you there. So it's like, I'm not going to watch the worship team just breeze past me again. I'm going to come get you, okay? So like, God bless you. I hunt. I can get you. All go team after second service. It's going to be a riot, and it's going to be 30 minutes, and there's going to be pizza in Jesus' name. Also on the 27th, we're having communion, and that's something that is very, very significant for a lot of people. I know it is for me. It's part of our Christian heritage, and so I would encourage you, get everybody you can to come to church. Let's take Holy Communion together and remember what Jesus has done for us. Babe, why don't you come up here and pray for the people? We love you guys. We walk our house praying for you. We believe the best is yet to come. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week, guys.